Welcome to Money in the Mind. Join Andy, a mental health therapist, and Aaron, an accountant, as they explore personal finance, psychology, and provide resources to help on your financial journey. All right, welcome to another riveting episode of Money in the Mind, where we are going to dive into relationships, money, how we view it, specifically talking about joint and separate bank accounts, where we also dive in to a lot of other communication questions and what have you in this episode. So thank you so much for listening. Hey, and again, welcome to Money in the Mind. So happy to have you here again. Episode 32. 30 freaking two episodes, Ron. People have been listening to our word vomit for a long time now, a whole year, a year plus coming up on Christmas and New Year's after that. And then it enters into Ron and my least favorite month of the year, which collectively is February because February is worthless. It has no good holidays. And all it is is just cold. There's no exciting about Christmas, no exciting about a new year. It's just cold. And all we're waiting for is obviously St. Patrick's Day and spring. This year might be the one exception because it will mean the calendar slipped to 2021. <laughs> and <laughs> anything that's not 2020, I think, is good. Yeah. Uh, so normally, yeah, January, February are objectively the worst months of the year if you live in kind of a this hemisphere this latitude where you get the the seasons like nebraska and the midwest it's 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 bad but i'm gonna be okay with it this year i think that's fair and also we have a vaccine for covid which yours truly was offered and accepted uh working at a psych hospital that takes random people off the street or anywhere and admits them uh, because of mental health issues that is something that we don't really screen heavily for covid so we were i was amongst uh people that were offered and i very much took it so i got my first dose uh, a couple days ago as we speak and i had a really 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 sore arm that evening and then the next day i was perfectly fine i didn't have any other issues um still waiting for my spider-man powers to come to fruition so still trying to stick to walls but not happening kind of upset i think that takes you know six to eight days Uh, well i'm i'm awaiting uh so technically it is 48 hours after i have received the vaccine and i still feel great so um if you are offered the vaccine i'm a huge proponent of Taking those, if you want to research a little bit more, look up, uh, I think it's called mRNA, about how they develop this. Uh, A lot of vaccines, you literally inject a dead virus into it and your antibodies attack it. This is just the, like, I believe, like some sort of protein structure that mimics COVID-19 and to where it basically like builds up your antibodies so you can't really get the virus. Anyway, do some research into it because it's pretty phenomenal stuff. I believe this whole research has been going on since 2003, like this methodology of vaccine. So it's definitely nothing new. And again, like Ron and I said, before we started even recording, it is, uh, you know, the fact that like four, three, four major companies around the world came up with something very similar pretty quickly awesome stuff. So anyway, so we are talking about joint versus separate relationships in our quest to specify a lot more of the episodes, because I do know that when 
I have friends ask about like, Hey, have you talked about this topic or this topic? And I think to myself, like, I'm almost positive we have, I can't narrow it down to like one episode. So we're trying to keep it a lot more specific with what we talk about as well as, um, again, trying to hit under that 30 minute mark to make it a little bit easier to listen to. And like I said, just get right to the point. So we're talking about joint and separate bank accounts in relationships. Are you one that needs to have a joint account with your partner or a separate bank account with your partner? And I would say just to dive right into it, there are a handful of questions that you should ask yourself and ask each other before you even begin to consider this. And so one of the questions I have is, who is a saver and who is a spender in your relationship and to what level? Are you one of those impulsive spenders like Ron, who's just like, Ron, I'm Ron, I'm going to buy some shoes and that legit made me like my throat tickle. So that's exactly how how it sounds. That's what I get. That's what I get for for mocking you, Ron. It's like I turn into the Hulk when I want to buy something. (laughs) Ron want. Anyway, so again, ask yourself, who's the saver? Who's the spender? And what level? Look at your impulsivity here. What's the first thing you want to do on payday? Ask yourself that when you get money dropped in that bank account, what is what is going through your head? Is the immediate thought, I need to drop some of this into savings account? Or is the immediate thought like, oh, baby, I need to go buy a 65-inch TCL TV? Totally worth it. <laughs> uh, reference our last episode experiences. Uh over stuff, which I really like that title of the episode, Ron. Good work on that. Thank um, you. Next question ask yourself is what are your retirement slash savings slash values goals? What do we want to see our money do for us in the semi long slash long term? So ask your partner, hey, what what do we where do we want to be financially in a month? Where do we want to be in six months? Where do we want to be in a year? Where do we want to be in five years? Where do we want to be in 10 years? Making sure that you align with what uh, your values are and how you're going to be spending your money and how you're going to be saving your money, right? Um, how do you feel about one person making more money than the other, right? If you are somebody who gets paid a few thousand dollars more, maybe a year, or are you somebody that gets paid tens of thousands of dollars more than your partner every year? And how do you feel about that? I do know that in Western culture, men tend to make more than women. And that is very not okay if they're working the same job. That's a whole different episode. But um, I know in my personal relationship, my wife has always made more money than I have. I think except for the year that she was getting her master's. But uh, anyway, and this is something I've always been very okay with. My wife makes more money and this is something she's okay with as well. A next question you want to ask yourself is how much can you spend without discussion? Can you spend $5? Can you spend $10? Can you spend $20? And how many times can you do that in a month? Also ask yourself if you're going to have split fund money, what does that look like every month? I know Ron and I have talked about it before, but we each have our own fund money accounts and we love it. And Ron frequently takes out loans from his. So... It's, um, it's true. Lastly, it's a tough discussion to have, but ask yourself, how did you and your family view money growing up? And that's a reference to understanding money scripts, which I believe is a lower episode on our list, but you, we talk about those money scripts that we developed growing up. So, and ultimately there is lots of research that shows that joint accounts tend to be better for couples. And again, is not the case for everyone. It just tends to be better for couples. 
And really what it comes down to, it's not necessarily the joint account that helps. It's about being more transparent with your partner about what's being spent. So I have been talking for holy moly, I think five straight minutes, but those are the questions that I believe need to be asked before you even begin. Those are some big time questions and they're questions we've referenced before, but they're not, they're not necessarily easy. They're simple questions, but they're not easy to answer. And and it involves a lot of discussion and communication. And I don't think you need to necessarily know all of the answers before deciding if you want to have a, have joint or separate bank accounts. But I can think of an example, just two friends of my wife and myself that they've had separate bank accounts as long as they've been married and they, they have a system that really works for them and they trust each other. So that's, that's the main thing. They, they each decided to have certain expenses come out of each person's account. And basically whatever's left over after that is kind of that, that fun money. And that's a, that's one of those, those conversations my wife and I had about just what, how do we, how do we give ourselves each, you know, some kind of guilt-free spending so that the, the joint shared bank account isn't getting like overdrawn or you're seeing these transactions pop up that are like, what is this? And then it can lead to an easy argument. So there's, so there's easy spending that can happen from separate fun money accounts. And so that's, that's what my wife and I do. And yeah, we just have a certain amount that goes into each of our accounts every month. I spend mine immediately. My wife saves hers <laughs> and she's got she's got hundreds of dollars saved in there. And um, I go over every month. And so I owe I basically owe whatever I overspent to her account. Or if we've got some some surplus, then I'll just put that into her account so that we're <laughs> we're staying even when I overspend. But yeah, it's a uh, it's it, it can be a simple thing, but it can also lead to some pretty heated arguments, I would think with how one person like me i'm the spender my wife is a lot is a lot more frugal and a lot more disciplined and and does a a much better job with looking for things that are on sale being willing to wait for something i'm a lot more impulsive so when you've got people that have two different types of habits that can easily easily lead to problems so uh, just finding a way to to navigate what works for you and keeping trust at the center of it. I think however you want to do it, if it's having a joint bank account and maybe separate fund money accounts, if it's having just separate bank accounts entirely, there's not like a right or wrong way to do it. I, I But I would tend to agree, generally speaking, I would agree with you, Andy, that having a joint account is probably a, a good thing. But the the main thing is that you got to just have trust and know where where each other stands. And if if you've got that, then you can absolutely make separate bank accounts work. And ultimately, again, uh, everything that we talk about really doesn't come down to finances and this podcast. It comes down to how we view finances and how they affect our psychological well-being, our emotional state, and which affects sometimes our physical state. And so, again, those questions aren't necessarily finance related. They're communication questions that it's really good to have just in general. So, yeah, um, just a quick example of what my bank accounts look like. So we have our checking account to where all of our money is deposited into every paycheck, everything like that. We have a general savings account, which is basically our savings account. 
That is our rainy day fund. That is everything. Uh, we want to have that at a certain amount of money. And then we have, we have individual savings accounts for each of our kids. So what happens is, is as they acquire money from birthdays and uh, Christmas and other such things, we just deposit that right into their savings account. Now, what I've been doing with the past couple of kids is once that hits a certain amount, I take that out and I open a Vanguard account and I drop that money in there. And then when they are adults, I'm going to essentially, or 19, I'm going to let them kind of decide what they want to do with it. If they want to keep adding to it and have it be a retirement account, or if it's something that they want to use for school or maybe a payment on a first house or, you know, whatever. So then we also have, so those are our basic accounts. And then, sorry, sorry. Then we each have our own fun money account as well. So there's Andy's personal account and Liz's personal account, which we, for our budget, we're able to each deposit $100 into that account at the beginning of every month. And that is money that cannot be questioned. Although Liz likes to give me a hard time when I buy like a comic book with it. And she's like, Oh, really cool purchase. And I was like, you bought like wreath or whatever, something. <laughs> Shut up, Ron. <laughs> oh boy. Hey, I've been, I've been watching the Marvel movies. So the comic book sounds like a good, a good idea to me. And then, uh, this is real. This is getting sidetracked really quickly here, but I've been listening to the Binge Mode podcast by the Ringer.com website, and I really liked their Star Wars and Harry Potter. They take a deep, deep dive into these stories. So I'm not familiar with the Marvel stories. I've seen a couple of the movies. So, anyways, I like I like the comic book purchase because that's kind of been front of mind for me lately. So, what other information do you have, Ron? What kind of uh kind of little nuggets of info do you want to give before we start telling yeah well i've got i've got two 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 concepts that i think are really important and i'm gonna you know try to make myself sound smart but it's really not a not a difficult concept to understand the first one is information asymmetry so one of the prime example examples i think of oh man andy is distracting me. <laughs> you are distracting me on our on our live video feed here um <laughs> Uh, information asymmetry. So uh, a great example is if you're someone like me who doesn't know a whole lot about car repair and you've got something wrong with your car, you take it in and you, because of the, the information difference, the, the car repair shop has a, a huge advantage on me, the, the neophyte, because I don't know much about car repairs. And they could just say, yeah, you got to get a new whatever that's going to cost five thousand dollars a new flux capacitor yes a new flux capacitor and it's going to transport you back to 1985 and it's going to cost you eighty five thousand dollars and really they could have made an 85 dollar repair but i'm i'm none the wiser because of that information imbalance so one problem with information asymmetry is if you've got one partner who knows way more than the other person about the the finances between the two people, then that's where you can get into a situation of the second concept here is financial infidelity. And um, that's, it's what it sounds like. It's um, one person making, you know, maybe secret purchases. I had a buddy who he kind of does the same thing I do, but for, uh, but uh, he did, he did what I do for a case IH equipment dealership. That's, that's tractors and stuff for those who aren't 
uh, Midwesterners, but he, uh, when he ran payroll, he sometimes had people who would want parts of their payroll to be received in cash and parts of it to be direct deposited because they wanted the cash not to hit the bank account so that they could just do whatever they wanted with it. And that's and not telling their spouse. So there's financial infidelity, which can be, depending on how severe it is, can be just as damaging as like, you know, like marital infidelity, because it's it's a breaching of trust. It's a situation where someone's trying to hide something from the other person. And you can easily see how that could cascade into other problems and and uh, arguments. So, and we all know how emotional finances can be, and it's one of the biggest predictors of divorce. So yeah, information asymmetry. When one person has a huge advantage over the other, over the other person in knowledge, maybe they handle all the financial transactions, the, the logins, the passwords, which is kind of the case with my wife and I. Um, and I think with you too, Andy, you and I both are kind of the household CFOs, we take care of it. Our wives don't want to take care of it. And in some situations that's reversed, but I, that's why I try to, I try to keep, keep my wife up to date, try to say, Hey, here's, here's what we've got going on. Here's what, here's what we're doing. And it, it doesn't really ever change, but if we have a decision to make, then we, we make that together and I'm the one who'll, you know, do the mechanics and the execution part, but we always try to make sure we're on the same page. Nice. I'm ready to go to some applicable steps of stuff that we can do if you are ready. Let's go. Some of this stuff comes from our old pal, Ramit, who recently uh, I, I attempted to reach out to and contact because Ramit is one of those cool guys that literally reads like every email that he receives. So that was kind of cool. Recently asked if he'd like to be on our podcast in which he said that we have to get more reviews on Apple Podcasts. So again, if you've not yet reviewed our podcast, please go and review it on Apple Podcasts so we can- What do we need? We need like 750 reviews, We need like 750. It's a wild amount. Um, We have like 40 maybe. (laughs) I don't even think we have that many, but that's okay because it's okay, Ron. It's okay. It's okay. So uh, please go review us if you don't mind. Anyway, so uh, what are Ramit's- you know, uh, one of the typical thing is you're going to divide your, or not typical, I'm sorry. One of the things that he describes is dividing expenses based on income. So what you do is you take your household income, all of them, all of your household income, uh, just for ease of mind, let's say you make $1,000 a month total. So let's say one person makes 60% of that and the other person makes 40% of that. So one person gives $600, the other person gives $400, okay? Just for ease, I hope we're following. Then you take all of your household expenditures, things you need to live, your mortgage, your groceries, et cetera, and then figure out the percentage of how much each of you contribute. So maybe it's 60, 40, and then you just divide the expenditures like that. So it's even still, um, and one person maybe doesn't feel as slighted. So that's one of his suggestions that he talks about. Do you have one, Ron? Uh, we mentioned, was this off air? I can't remember. Dr. Brad Klontz, who we've we've referenced frequently on here, and we were talking about this off air. If you go and look up the Klontz uh, money, oh, it's the KMBI. I think it stands for Money Behavior Inventory. I can't remember what it if that's exactly right or not, but that is probably step one. If for people who really want to take the behavioral stuff seriously and figure out, okay, 
what are my beliefs about money? And that can be a really good starting point for a conversation. The inventory is free. It takes uh, it takes a matter of minutes where you'll get a bunch of questions that are fairly easy to answer and you take kind of your first instinct. That's your answer. And you can figure out maybe you've got a, you know, you've got a bunch of scripts that say money is bad or something that says money is a status symbol. That's kind of my money script that that weights the the heaviest for me is I tend to view money as kind of like a, a, a way to show status. And I would I would agree with that. So taking that inventory can help you understand just a general belief about money. And then you can trace that back to, OK, how was my up? How does my upbringing affect how I feel and all the things I believe about money? And that can be a really, really in-depth conversation that can come out of just taking a five-minute little inventory that, you know, statistically proven to be predictive of actual, like, good or bad money behaviors. So uh, so that's what I would recommend because chances are, chances are extremely, extremely high that you and your partner have different beliefs, different scripts, different ideas about money. So if you each take that inventory... If you're having an argument, maybe you can go back and find out what kind of your general beliefs about money are, and that can help you reach a point of understanding, oh, okay, that's why you like to spend more than me because, you know, you had a hard time making friends in high school. So spending is kind of a way to show that you've been successful in a way, and it makes you, I don't know, feel better about some tough experiences you had in the past or something like that. Oh, absolutely. And that's a, that's a completely normal reaction when it comes to somebody who's dealt with a lot of issues like that. Also, when you do take an assessment, make sure that you are answering extremely true, truthfully or honestly, not to what you want, you what you think you need to be, but what you are currently. Just be honest with yourself. One of the other things kind of to piggyback off that, like there's going to be people that spend irresponsibly uh, in this world, they, there's lots and lots and lots and lots of them. And if you are one of those people or you are in a relationship with one of those people, this is why it's really, really, really good to set money goals for yourself. Such as, so when if you if you have somebody in the relationship that starts spending very irresponsibly, you're able to talk to them about like, hey, are we still sticking to our savings goals? Not just, hey, you fool, you're spending all of our money. Instead, it's, hey, my sweet partner, it seems as though we're not sticking very well to our savings goals. And this is something that we agreed that was very important to us. So how can we get back on track? And it's all about we, not you, not you, 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 you. I start saying you. Now I just want to soldier boy, right? Anyway. No. Yes. Do it. Anyway. So it's, it's that kind of, uh, when I work in therapy with people, this is a lot of the reason I don't use the word why. When you say the word why, it starts implying a sense of blame and shame, which is really not good. So I, I like to use the questions like, what about this spending is not affecting or is negatively affecting our savings goal? Or like what is happening in our money uh, situation that isn't based upon on the goal that we collectively figured out. It's it's so much about vernacular. It's so much about how we phrase things and we aren't attacking our partner because, you know, hopefully we love our partner and we want to be with our partner. And so having those previous savings goals is something that is very necessary. 
Yeah, something I learned from the I haven't mentioned this book in a while, but it it's one of my favorites. The book Loaded by Sarah Newcomb. Um, it's got some great examples in there of people who who spends to to fulfill a need. And if you can find a way to fulfill those needs in in non-financial ways, you know, someone who maybe they want a really want a nice car, they want to buy a buy a Tesla because they're awesome. And and they're just they just can't get over the desire to buy this car. Like, okay, why, where's this coming from? What need is that fulfilling? And if you can talk about it instead of like attacking the other person about it, like, Oh, okay. Why, why would this be important to you? Then what's, what need is that fulfilling? Getting, getting to that deeper level of, it's not just this irrational thing. It's actually coming from a, from a, a rational mindset of some kind, but what what is it? And if you can get to the bottom of that, then you can figure out, oh, okay, this isn't just my partners being crazy. It's no, they they really have a an intense need and desire for having a, an electric car instead of a gasoline powered car, and they want to. I don't know. Maybe it'll help them get more clients at work or something like that. So th- there's always there's always something that's completely rational about something that on the outside seems like it might not be. You know, one of the really really cool things about need, um, and this this is something I literally did in group therapy today. I was so excited that you bring this up because we are completely driven by our needs, and we make irrational decisions because of those needs. In fact, I was talking with an addict and his drug of choice is meth. And he also struggles with bipolar one disorder, which also means that he has manic and depressive episodes. So meth, when he's on a manic episode only intensifies that like euphoricness of um, I'm on top of the world. I have all this energy, blah, 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 blah. And so we were talking about, we, we broke it down and we finally got to the point that like, ultimately we do stuff to satisfy our needs. So, he said he served some time in prison and when he came out, he was sober as a bird and he didn't know what to do. He had never been that sober for that long. And he was genuinely shocked. Whereas we'd go like sobriety, this is the best thing for an addict. And I'm not saying it's not the best thing for an addict, but ultimately he started having this need to connect with people. Well, when all he knew was other meth users he didn't know who to connect with. And so he had a need to connect with people. And ultimately he relapsed again because he wanted to connect with people. And the only way that he could do that was using meth because that's what he knew. And so we have these needs and like, this is what Housel talks about. This is literally the basis of psychology is what need is being met by said behavior. And it's the case with, uh, with a kid throwing a tantrum. It's the case with, somebody using substances, there's always a need that's being met and figure out what that need is. So Ron, really freaking good talk about need. So yeah, well, it it, it reminds me of a a more relatable example, maybe of the whole, uh, the coffee shaming example where people say, well, just stop buying coffee every day or buying it every week. And it's like, well, why there could be a thousand different reasons why somebody's going to Starbucks and getting that coffee. Maybe Maybe that's the one like time during the day where they they can think. Maybe they sit in the drive-through and they love sitting in the drive-through, even even if it's a long line, because that's the time where they can think. Or maybe in a you know a non-pandemic situation, they would go in and the person who took their order 
might be the same person almost every day. And that's like the most social human interaction they, that person gets that day. Or maybe the, maybe the caffeine really helps, or maybe like they just feel better about themselves from having a quality drink to start the day. Like there's so many needs that be, that could be being met by, by just getting, you know, a Starbucks every day or every week or whatever the case might be. So yeah, that's a, uh, yeah, it's it's a foundational concept. It it also reminds me of um our pal our pal Charlie Munger. I don't know if we've mentioned him on the show, but he's he's the right hand man of local local billionaire Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. He's written a bunch of stuff and and made speeches and such about psychology and his his kind of basic thing is people behave the way that they do because it works. Like people will do whatever works. So the, like you said, Andy, the kid throwing the tantrum, um, a meth addict finding other meth, meth people to be with because that's the, that's the people he knows. Like people do what they do to, to fulfill a need. They do what they do because it works for them in some way. It helps them. It fulfills some kind of need. So trying to figure out with your partner what need is driving their behavior with money is, is so important to figure out. And it can help solve a lot of problems potentially, hopefully. Absolutely. Um, another way, another applicable, applicable way to help with, with deciding on joint or um, separate bank accounts is to maybe figure out a fund money account. Like it's easy to open extra accounts at your bank. You can deposit money into each person's account at the beginning of the month. When it's gone, it's gone. You can always talk about borrowing at the beginning of the month, which we've already talked about. One of the other things that I found really, really cool is Episode 611 on Art of Manliness podcast, which I referenced that quite a bit. He talked about having like a weekly marriage check-in and you don't have to be married to have those. So like have a monthly or even weekly check-in with your partner. Um, there's a lot more uh, examples on this episode that you can check out, but like it works for any couples. It's about like, what are our family values? What are we still pursuing? What are we doing to connect? What are we doing for our kids? If you have kids. Um, money can be a part of that conversation. So ask yourself things like during this either weekly or monthly check-in, like, are we still on target for our money goals? Uh, goals may include filling up your rainy day or savings fund, your vacation, funding retirement fully each month, furniture savings, remodeling home, baby savings, wedding savings, college savings, um, whatever you're trying to do with your money. Like these are really good check-ins to have weekly or even monthly. I've got one more resource and then um, an ironic thing that I've got on in the background here before I've got, I don't know, I can call it quits on my end, Andy. Equal Partners Podcast. It's a show that I, I just discovered that's all about money and relationships. Imagine that. Very much in the same spirit of what we're trying to do on our show here. So again, the Equal Partners Podcast. I've listened to probably half a dozen episodes. And they bring on guests that are really, really great, renowned guests, at least the ones that I've found so far. And they talk about it's the basis of their show. So the Equal Partners podcast. And I've got one more thing, Andy, but anything else? What What do you have? I'm good. That's You're good? Okay. Well, stiff. It's, this, is, this is funny because on in the background right now, as, as we started recording, I had um, an episode of The Office just, yeah, playing in the background where Michael Scott is having monkey problems, aka money money problems. And with his with his partner, 
Jan, she's she's spending, she's swiping the credit card. I think it's kind of a response to getting fired um, that she's spending a lot, but she just keeps telling him, you know, it costs it costs what it costs. And Michael's feeling really uncomfortable about this. Like, how much does how much do does new carpet cost? And eventually, he he gets a second job. He literally tries to just run away and get on a uh, get on a train. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it, uh, just it's a perfect example of you know one person one person's they're just they're just not on the same page with their financial situation. One person's spending a lot more than the other. Michael declares bankruptcy in I don't know if it's this episode or maybe the next one, but anyways. It's a it's it's a common problem. It's a common problem, and no matter if you know maybe both people in a relationship are making 150k a year and they're doing great. They've got you know they're not super lavish with their spending. They've got a bunch. Of, they maximize their 401ks every year, but they're even they're still going to have money issues and money arguments. So there's no there's no income level at which this type of stuff goes away. It's 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 the important stuff like trust and being on the same page that is common knowledge, but it's just, it's tough to do in yeah. practice. So to kind of end here, I do want to say something about couples counseling. Uh, the statistics on couple counseling, I'm not going to give them to you because they're atrocious, but the success of couples counseling working is truly not great. And mainly there's a couple reasons of this. It's because one, most people see couples therapy or couples counseling as a last ditch resort when one person already has one foot out the door. And I can tell you, even if somebody was the best couples counselor in the world, if one person is ready to exit the relationship, the relationship is over. Couples counseling isn't going to help that. So I highly, highly recommend that you do something. You do something preemptive, even if it's checking in with a couples therapist once a month, holding yourself accountable, having those weekly or monthly marriage meetings or or relationship meetings, whatever that is. But like, be proactive. Don't be reactive when it comes to your relationship, especially when it comes to money. You know, we've said it a million times, but in you know, Dr. Klontz's book, you know, 70% of divorces stated that money was the primary result of why it became, why it became an issue. And we all know that, that it's not about the money. It's about the view on money. It's about the relationship with money. It's about how we, how, you know, it affects us every day. So I don't have anything else, but I will say starting in 2021, we've got some pretty killer guests coming on already. We've got some people booked, an incredible professor from Creighton University here in our local hometown that's going to talk about like poverty and funerals. So very excited about that. We've got a couple that's going to come on and talk to us about what FIRE is, which is financially independent, retire early. Um, that'll be kind of a very fun conversation as well. So we've got a lot of stuff booked for 2021 already coming up on Money in the Mind, where we remind you to manage your money. Don't let it manage you.